0: Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Film Exploration with Ash Harry and today we shall be talking about the Oscar winning film American Beauty directed by Sam Mendes and starring Kevin Spacey, Annette Bening, Wes Bentley and Chris Cooper. The film is a first of many things. I mean, for one, it's the first film I'm doing a podcast on that's actually won the Oscar for Best Picture. And I've just done podcasts for Shawshank and Seven and Goodwill Hunting. So the 90s was a very competitive year, especially 1994, back with, you know, Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, and Shawshank, and especially 1999 or 2000, technically, because the Oscars happen a few months the following year the movie's released. But the year American Beauty won, it beat films like The Green Mile, which was Frank Darabont's second film after Shawshank, again, based on another the Stephen King novel, also against the uh, unexpected Sixth Sense which redefined horror movies and twist endings and introduced in the world to M. Night Shyamalan. So it took a lot for the film to win this prestigious award, and I think rightfully so as well. It's an absolute gem of a movie. It ended up actually winning five Oscars, and it was so close to winning the big five. The big five, um, the five main Academy Awards is the best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, and best screenplay. And American Beauty won it all, won, won in every single category but one, which they lost to, um, I think it was Annette Benning lost out to Hilary Swank for Boys Don't Cry. So it was so close to sweeping out all big five, but they missed down best actress, of course. I think it only happened three times in history where films won the big five. Um, I think yeah, Silence of the Lambs definitely won it in 1991. They won the big five, and one flew Over the Cuckoos Nest in 1975, and the other one was. It was in the 30s, I can't really remember the name of it, I think it happened uh, I think it happened one night, I think that's what it's called. One, it was in the 30s, but yeah, three films and like 92 years of history of the Academy, so yeah, it's quite an accomplishment to get all five, let alone four, which reflects how good this movie is. And of course, Sam Mendes winning Best Film and Best Director in his directing debut, which really kickstarted his career. We know him, of course, for the last two Bond films, Skyfall and Spectre, and he actually wanted to work with Kevin Spacey again, and he wanted him for the villain in Skyfall, um, but he wasn't available at the time, so I think Javier Bardem filled in the role, and it was a terrific performance by Javier, so it was a good choice. So season one of my podcast, I'm just doing 90s movies, and I was just looking at um, all the 90 movies, uh, 90s movies that had won Best Film at the Oscars, and obviously American Beauty was one in um, 2000, technically 9.99, But, um, yeah, I realised that there's only two films in the 90s that won the Oscar that weren't period pieces, um, which was Silence of the Lambs and um, American Beauty. And all the other eight films were period films, though. you had, like, really testament. i got to remember what it was. Uh, English Patient in 97, Braveheart in 96, Shakespeare in Love 99, Dances with Wolves was 91, then you had Unforgiven, which is Clint Eastwood's film. That's where um, Morgan Freeman won an Oscar, I think. Uh, and then 94 1994, Schindler's List, um, Forrest Gump, because it goes back. Um, it's, it's basically a period piece. What won in 98? Jesus, it wasn't Save a Private Ryan. No, it was English Patient. Oh, yeah, Titanic. Titanic won in 98. Again, that's 1912. So, yeah, I just found that a really interesting fact that um, there was only two films in the 90s that weren't period pieces so yeah i think maybe you know that had a big part to play with why One because it was a bit more refreshing but yeah i don't know if anyone knew this, but um the executive producer of this movie was steven spielberg um just because um it reminded me when i said schindler's list do you know he released schindler's list and jurassic park the same year i mean what a year that was for spielberg but anyway yes yeah, so he was the producer of this film and alan Bull, the screenwriter gave him the script on saturday and uh, Spielberg basically said, look, come back to my on Monday, I'll tell you what I think, it's going to take me a couple of days to read it. So Alan Ball comes back to the office on Monday and Spielberg's there and he's just got a big smile on his face and Spielberg's like, do not change one word of this screenplay, it is absolute perfection and, um, he's, and he's like, okay, look, we'll make this movie, we'll make this movie and uh, I don't think there's one single scene that's improvised, oh yeah, no, there's one scene that's improvised in the entire movie, I think it's Kevin Spacey um, singing American Woman in a car when he's high, he's actually absolutely wing in that entire scene so that's the only scene that improvised. but besides that, it is line by line from the screenplay um but yeah anyway i thought that was an interesting fact anyway and just speaking of spielberg as well because spielberg gave sam mendes so much flexibility of this movie and this was sam mendes's first film and what sam wanted to do because he never directed a film before he was always on stage or directing theater was he deliberately didn't use close-ups in the entire movie. So if you watch American Beauty, there's very I don't think there's actually one close-up of that movie. I think there's the close-up when Ricky's um uh, Ricky and he, Ricky's looking at the plastic bag that whole scene which, by the way, was a nightmare to shoot. If you listen to the audio commentary, if you're a geek like up me, you you can find out how they actually shot that scene. Apparently it was uh, wind turbines and about 60 takes because the the bag wasn't going where they needed it to be. That was just a funny story. But, yeah, um, Spielberg gave Sam Mendes just absolute um, control over what he wanted to do, and Sam said, no, I think Spielberg said to Sam, just imagine there's an audience beneath the camera, beneath the camera. And he said, don't worry about cost. If you have a really good idea, use it because Sam's comes from a theater background. So all of his shots, if you look at it, is very, very theatrical. And it's not really a movie money shot, not like a Michael Bay kind of thing going on. And uh, apparently um, he said, if you have a really good idea at the end of the day, just let me know. Don't worry about the costs. And apparently Sam said it happened three or four times where he had a really good idea. And he sold Spielberg. And Spielberg said, look, I'll, I'll chip in my money and we'll, we'll, we'll do the scene. But it's or, we never know which four scenes he's talking about. But, yeah, if you ever do watch American Beauty, um, which I hope you guys will do after this podcast, um, have a look have a look to see how many um, close-ups there are on this movie. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was a really cool thing. The film, if you haven't seen it, tells the story of a middle-aged man, Lester Burnham, played by Kevin Spacey, who's living this day-to-day life in perfect routine and, unfortunately, like most people in life, in utter boredom. Now, it's told in this backdrop of a stereotypical suburban America where we watch Lester awaken from his dreary life, triggered by a crush, a creepy crush on his daughter's best friend. And then he starts to take matter into his own hands and he starts to appreciate life and start living it. That is the whole idea of the movie and what makes this movie more perplexing and in a way more depressing as well is right at the start of the movie we're presented with this seductive narration of Kevin Spacey who tells us that in less than a year he's going to be dead. It's a very bold way to inform the audience of the eventual departure of the main character that we're about to follow and by the time you get to the end of the movie you almost forget about this key plot reveal. The ending or climax are usually what the audience wait for to see how everything unravels and almost every time the audience is not informed of the ending right at the beginning unless you're watching a Christopher Nolan movie Sam Mendes trusts the depth of the story and the character development to allow the knowledge of the ending to be uncovered right at the start another thing Mendes chooses to show us is right before the opening scene we are shown two teenagers one of them being Lester's daughter saying can you kill him for me which adds more fuel to this mystery fire we're starting in this movie. So right from the offset, we have two potential suspects to a death of the main character that hasn't happened yet. So we begin to presume this movie as a kind of who-did-it movie or sort of knives-out kind of thing, or maybe even Cluedo. And then these assumptions are then kind of brushed aside from the way the beautiful, almost serene music is playing whilst Lester is narrating the start of the movie. The genre itself is a mystery, and what continues to happen is Lester carries on with his narration going through the rest of the day and introducing his family one by one. In this opening scene, we find hints of comedy and drama. Lester clearly sexually frustrated, signified by him jerking off and saying, this is going to be the highlight of his day, and then it's all downhill from there. Jane looking for breast enlargements on a computer in her bedroom, and Carolyn, the wife, who is looking divine outside, doing some gardening with some roses, and becomes... The main theme of this movie. The roses, of course, the vast symbol for this movie, which correlates to the tagline of the movie, which is, Look Closer. And you can actually see this tagline, Look Closer, in Lester's office when Brad approaches him at his desk. It's just right behind him. So let's look closer. Mendez deliberately has Carolyn tend to roses. Now, roses are the main theme here. In fact, the main theme in this movie is image... Roses are naturally beautiful, but they have thorns inside. Thorns we cut ourselves on because of the distraction of the red petals. Look closer into a beautiful rose, there's potential danger there, the thorns, and they can sting you if you get too close. Carolyn is the only one being displayed as looking happy, but it's so happy it's almost fake, and that's the point. We see her getting, you know, cutting the roses in her perfect garden and then interacting with her neighbor in a way that you would see in an advert for the perfect picture neighborhood. And this is precisely what Mendez tries to highlight. This American suburban family looks perfect on the outside, like the rose. But inside, we're seeing these thorns. Lester is jerking off inside a shower, shot from outside and from behind in this misty bathroom environment, almost dingy, connoting just unease, frustration, unclearness. No attempt to turn around. The focus is obviously somewhere else. Jane, the daughter, is shot looking at a computer in this sort of imprisonment bedroom of hers. She's on a computer looking at breast enlargement. These thorns, these issues are what's inside this rose and Annette Benning, the wife, the character being the family rose by wearing red lipstick looking beautiful, wearing matching gloves for the rose, which is later noticed by the neighbour in a friendly exchange and most importantly she's outside where the world can see her, there's no separation there's no doors, no windows, no computer this is the perspective of the outside world towards the Burnham family inside the house we see the thorns of sexual frustration, vanity and of course we later discover Carolyn's thorn to be self-image in her environment too. We also see no we also see subtle images of the roses throughout the film. The roses on Jane's jumper when she's looking at these enlargements and of course the beautiful stunning bathtub scene where her friend Angela is covered in roses in this dream sequence, which indicates this temptation, this desire to break free. Of course, the rose signifying that there are thorns underneath, but Lester doesn't see that yet or doesn't care because he can't live like this anymore and therefore pursues this without fear, you know, the drugs, the extortion, pursuing an underage girl and spending a lot of money on a red car. Again, the roses are red, the redness, the colour red, Again, is another symbol uh, symbol that um, Mendes tries to be shadowy about. The red car that Lester buys, the red door at the house, all shown deeply throughout the movie to emphasise this danger that is happening. These thorns, if you will, that will soon reveal itself and later probably sting you. And of course, the big reveal at the end when Lester being shot in the head at the end. It's ironic because Lester recognises the fakeness of Carolyn when he's narrating, saying how exhausted he is by looking at her doing this act, telling us he's aware of this phony performance, the time and effort to maintain beautiful roses, and thus we get our first glimpse of Lester wanting to break away from this routine. Through the cleverness use of the focus of the camera, which fades out when Carolyn is talking to the neighbours and focuses on Lester, who is watching in the background uh, behind the windows and through slightly ajar curtains, again showing what lies beneath the roses, the thorn in Lester, who is perceived by his family as a loser, This opening sequence shrewdly indicates where the movie is now going and having a basic understanding of the three main characters through costume, cinematography and symbolism. Sam Mendes brings a next to perfect opening five to ten minutes where we can deconstruct shot by shot what he's trying to do with each of these characters. We have their images, their desires and we have an idea of where this story is going to go now. What Sam Mendes achieves with this gem of a movie is the authenticity of the transformation of Kevin Spacey's character and actually James as well. His journey throughout this movie is to become a man again, to become relevant, to mean something, to feel something. And it's done against this ominous backdrop of this phony American neighbourhood where every character is basically playing a caricature of their stereotypes. And everything in this movie is steady and smooth in terms of the flow from scene to scene, even with the darker tones being explored in the movie. And it's showing us the understanding of self image and what people go through to achieve it. The time and effort to look good for people you don't know is exhausted, and we never know why we do it. Are we lost? Do we feel alone? Do we need attention? Does society want us to act a certain way? and these characters all un- um, all these characters hide underneath this sort of veneer of being acceptable and ordinary. but later, as we delve deeper as we look closer. Into these thorns, not being distracted by the roses, we see the complete opposite. We see frustration, we see depression, we see anxiety, we see all manners of sin at the very core. And if you notice with Janie, who's played by um, Thora Birch, she starts off the movie wearing loads and loads of makeup throughout the movie. And as the movie gradually goes on, she starts to wear less and less. See if you can notice it when you uh, next watch the movie. Um, And, you know, she finally, you know, overcomes this image of being a victim to society and she doesn't need to impress anyone. Her shackles have been removed from Wes Bentley's character. And to contrast this, her friend Angela, as the movie goes on, she starts to wear more and more makeup. You know, she needs to convince the world that she's beautiful. And, you know, who's shown as the norm, the people who are trying to strive for attention, to want to be seen and will do and say anything to make sure people know which ironically attracts attract, you know, attracts the attention of Kevin Spacey's character which triggers his awakening for this film. So this film is beautifully shot and done so like a play which you know which each scene is done in a clever staged area like the bedroom or the garage. Um and this was originally written as a play by Alan Ball. I think he was writing it on top of the the World Trade Center at the time and he saw a plastic bag float and it sort of helped him you know create this uh beautiful screenplay for the movie. And, of course, Sam Mendes had never directed a film before. He was actually a stage and theatre director before films, and you can really see this in American Beauty. Um, so, he, you know, he did really well to bring this to the uh, big screen, and he won an Oscar for Best Director, so and obviously now everyone knows who he is. And you can see this style of stage work echo in his other works as well, most notably in Skyfall, actually, when we first introduced to Javier Bardem, and he does his introduction in one of the continuous shots for the movie, and Javier's doing this really lengthy dialogue all in one take. And Kevin Spacey in this movie actually jokes around um, when he's on the way to the basketball uh, basketball game with Angela, um, with his wife, and he says he's missing the James Bond marathon in the movie. And, um, yeah, I just wonder, it's just a kind of a funny thing, because I wondered if Sam Mendes knew 18 years later he'd be directing two of them. But yeah, for me, um, there's not much wrong with this film. The acting in this film is, you know, especially by Kevin Spacey, is beyond amazing. The supporting cast in Wes Bentley, Thora Birch, Chris Cooper and Benning Benning just adds to this believable story about self-image and beauty. And the movie runs a slippery slope in today's world now, where the main lead being obsessed with a 16-year-old girl and, of course, the star Kevin Spacey, his reputation being tarnished by his personal life... You sort of have to distance yourself with the obsession of the girl in this movie. It's just true justice comes at the end when he decides not to pursue this act of sleeping with a 16-year-old girl. But instead, you know, what Mendes does is he's using this desire to sort of fuel his awakening and therefore realizing he's happy with his life now. He, he's satisfied. He doesn't need to sleep with her. And he knows and he recognizes that it's going to be wrong to do that. And that is why that line at the end is so powerful when he just goes, I'm great He's genuinely happy, and this movie doesn't need a big reveal or big plot twist. We understand this movie because it's about life. It's not being fake. It's not sugarcoating anything. It's about raw survival in today's world. And it's even more relevant today, this movie, when everything these days, especially with social media, is about image. It's about how you portray yourself, and it's about you know how much time goes into it. It's exhausting, and it's demanding, and you have to wonder why we do the things. Is it worth it? I mean, this movie came out in nineteen ninety nine exploring things that I think are awfully relevant now, and it shouldn't be battered away because of anything you know you know something controversial or the reputation of the actor it should be studied for filmmaking for symbolism, for authenticity, for bigging up stereotypes to hint that there is damaged goods behind every smile. I just think the direction of Sam Mendes and the comedy aspect of the deeply dark scenes makes this piece a masterpiece and one that i think will stand the test of time and hopefully be seen with fresh eyes as an original movie that explores the real beauty of life but that's all well you know that's all we have time for with american beauty if you haven't seen it give it a go it's a great film i think if you can find it on now tv and it's on netflix in september i think if you haven't got any of those um but if you can't get hold of it on netflix or our tv then just go buy the dvd or blu-ray it's a really good investment and it's probably quite cheap as well um but yeah you can find me on instagram film exploration a h or lowercase or one word um and that's all we have time for today um thank you for listening to another episode of film exploration with ash hurry and have a good day